Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to this morning's Football Digest uh, weekly podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, nice to see you all. And uh, yeah, maybe sometimes we should broadcast what we say off air. And it might be even more interesting than what we say on air. But hopefully it will be just as entertaining when we get going. Um, because I'm joined by my colleague Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer on the Daily Mirror, Chief Sports Writer on the Daily Star, Jeremy Cross and Football Aficionado. Um, with matching shirt to match the pit, uh, match the cushions this morning. Fantastic <laughs> art, green artwork there from the Express a Football Aficionado, the one and only Matt Dunn. Uh, good morning to you all. Thanks so much for um, joining. Plenty to talk about. What do we start? I mean, wow, what a night at Old Trafford. Absolutely sensational stuff. Um, at the end there from from Cristiano Ronaldo, hasty re hasty rewrites are plenty, um, especially when you've got a file on eighty minutes, and um, and then and then of course, how does that how does that set it up for the weekend? Um, Man United Liverpool, what a uh, clash that is! Newcastle, it's all over for Steve Bruce. We look at a little bit behind the scenes and trying to sort of take a look at you know Steve Bruce get a, a raw deal. Um, yeah, I think he really did, actually, to be honest. Um, and England, did they get off lightly with a one-game stadium ban? Um, yeah, to be honest, I think I think they did. Um, and then basic West Ham Spurs, uh, amongst others. Um, and a bit of Man City chat as well to boot. So plenty to get through. But let's, let's start at Old Trafford, really. And the remarkable turnaround for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, what a relief that actually some of his former teammates don't have to think about criticising him this morning and uh, can just focus on the good stuff. Um, that's how they like it. And um, and and Andy, I mean, what an amazing game. 2 nil down, win 3-2, Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, talk us through it. Fabulous atmosphere, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a good atmosphere. I mean, to be fair to United fans, um, I think you know, there was a little bit of booing our time when they went in. 2-0 down. But I think most realised that the United had so many chances. And Atalanta, who, who, who were, bear in mind, you know, um, beset by injuries before the game, particularly defensively. And you could tell that. They were giving up chance after chance and they felt inevitable that United would, would score. It was a question whether Atalanta would score anymore. So I think United fans knew that there was going to be a comeback, you know, arriving in the second half. And they've seen it before and they got behind them. And I like that initiative, by the way, just 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 um, offer a tangent. At United, with that, that singing area, I think it actually really works. You know, it, 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 it sounds a bit trite, doesn't it? But, you know, it sounds mm, a bit corny. It does, yeah. It actually works. I mean, it really does. And I know, but I mean, it, you know, you don't, for example, you know, you don't need one of those encouraged at Anfield. I mean, that's what you'd say. But, you know, it, it works and, and it did, and it was a good atmosphere. Um, and once, of course, they scored quite early on in the second half, that, that built up even more. 
Um, obviously, Atalanta then had a good chance to make it 3-1, which probably would have killed the game off. Maybe, but even then, it was probably 20 minutes left and United might have scored. So, yeah, all in all, it was it was a cracking night. And, you know, you cannot, which which means I'm about to, but you cannot sort of decry a, a, a 3-2 comeback win from 2-0 down to 3-2 up. doesn't matter who mm. you're playing, even if it is a side that, that is struggling for um, with injuries. And the play's quite open, leaves itself quite open. You can't knock a 3-2 comeback win. But, of course, you can look at it and then say, well, you know, they still clearly have obvious defensive issues. You know, they were as poor defensively last night as they were at Leicester on Saturday, and I was at both games. And they were they were that bad last night as well. And, but that, and, and that stemmed from, you know, from the formation, from the personnel, not defending from the front. I mean, basically, you've got players at the back who aren't playing particularly well. Maguire's obviously only in his second game back. Again, apart from the goal that he scored, he didn't have a particularly good game last night. Um, Wan-Bissaka isn't in strong bit for form. Lindelof got turned by the Atalanta's um, substitutes who should have scored, you know, hit it straight at David De Gea, who then made another save after that. So clearly those defensive issues are all there. And clearly you can... To follow up from last night, you know, you come away thinking, as Paul Scholes, I think, um, articulated on, on television, if that had been, if they'd have been playing Liverpool or Man City, you, you know, there's no way they would have won that game. You know, they would have been, they would have been crushed by Liverpool or Man City because one, they would have taken advantage far more um, um, punitively of United's defensive failings, and two, they wouldn't have given up the sorts of chances that Atalanta gave up, you, you know, at will. But you can't take away from great theatre, great winning goal. You, you know, I, I, you said about hasty rewrites. You know, I, I was, I was, I, I, I was writing a piece. You know, basically saying, "What does Ronaldo do?" Basically, like half-hearted, whatever. <laughs> Next minute, he jumps about ten foot in the air, heads the winner in, and I, I quickly had to um, suggest that I might, um, might have a rethink. Um, but, but you know, so you can't deny that it was great moments at the end of the game. You know, Ronaldo was on his knees celebrating. Maguire's throwing his shirt into the crowd, and what 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 they've got to look at is, is is does this positivity does this give them a positive lift? What I would say is yeah. they did similar against Villarreal, and it didn't particularly have a, a, an overly positive lift. This time they've got to hope that carries through to Sunday because certainly on on form, on form, and in terms of the way they're playing throughout the team, as in defensively in midfield and attack, Liverpool. Clearly, will go there, and if United played like they did last night in that first half, Liverpool will be out of sight. Yeah, yeah, no, they would. I mean, Jeremy, how, how do you think this affects Solskjaer? Because, I mean, you know, at two nil, let's be honest here. I was at Chelsea and at Stamford Bridge. Well, I sat next to Matt actually, basically <laughs> rubbing your hands with glee and thinking, you know, what a story this is. Not particularly at the demise of Solskjaer, but you're thinking as a, as a journalist, you're thinking, wow, what an incredible story. Where and next question is, where where on earth is this leaves Solskjaer? I don't think it, you know, from my perspective, I don't think it, you know, it would have resulted in the sack before Liverpool. Please don't get me wrong, but you're thinking this is going. They're going to come back. Basically, this is going to make, be an amazing story. But well, you know, if they hadn't, what 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 would have what would have been the outcome? I don't think there'd been an outcome. I don't think there was. They would have sacked him. I spoke to a couple of senior guys at United at the start of this week, and they made it clear to me that. While they obviously wanted to see some um, some significant improvement in results, um, Solskjaer was still the man they wanted in charge. Um, 
you know, they gave him a new contract in the summer, signed him Cristiano Ronaldo, Varane and Sancho, spent the thick end of 150 million quid. Um, I mean, he's spent 400 million pounds, Solskjaer, since he took over. Mm. I've overlooked that sometimes. So he's, he's had such backing and faith from the, uh, the club's board. And also, you know, if you were to sack Solskjaer tomorrow, who, if you were running Manchester United, who would you give the job to? You know, when you look at the pool of managers available, it's very, very small. So, you know, I'm not saying Solskjaer's still in a job by default, but, you know, that, that must come into their thinking, the club's thinking. Who You create a problem by sacking him, you've got to find a solution, and there doesn't, doesn't appear to be a straightforward solution out there, really. I know Conte is obviously available, but I'm not sure he would be the right fit for United. So, look... Why? Why? I don't know. I just think... I just think he's a bit temperamental and he is a bit Mourinho-like in his in his ways. They've been down that road, route before and it didn't work out. So I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how United think in terms of who they would even look at. I mean, probably should have got Pochettino when they had a chance to get him. In hindsight, that's probably that was probably a mistake. But so they're just plodding on, aren't they? Really, like Andy said, it's 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 great that you can come back and win a game in such dramatic fashion with a player as gifted as Ronaldo. But you know, on the other side of the coin, to find yourself two 0 down against an injury hit mm. Italian team like Atalanta, that's 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 also a big concern. And like Andy said, if you if they go two 0 down at the weekend to Liverpool, there's no coming back from that. So. Mm. Um, I just think Solskjaer's got this amazing knack of digging up a result when he really needs one, when his back's against the wall. You know, we've seen it against PSG, against Manchester City. It's happened so many times. It's uncanny how he manages to do it. And this will buy him more time, no doubt. I mean, you know, there'll always be the detractors who don't want him there. That's just part and parcel of being Manchester United managers. So, you know, it'll rumble on. I think it'd have to get really, really bad for them to consider getting rid of him. This season? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be very surprised if he, if he's, if he's, if he gets sacked this season. They'd have oh. to lose three or four or five games on the spin, I think, for that to happen. Right, right. Well, well. Our old friend Alan Chamberlain's been on saying, "I agree. Give Ollie time. A new five-year deal would be good." He says, <laughs> which is, you know, I think, I think I'm right in saying Alan, Alan might be of the uh, Liverpool persuasion, but, <laughs> um, but um, uh, Matt, Matt. I mean, it's, it, you know, it is a soap opera which unfolds in front of our eyes, doesn't it? But. So, what does Solskjaer need to do? Do you think to be judged as a success, not just by United fans, but of general football fans this season? What does he need to kind of meet meet the standard away from what Man United might expect of him? I just think it's probably too late for that because he needs to challenge for the title, and I think that's pretty quickly disappearing. I mean, I'm intrigued, Andy, perhaps to resurrect some of your early copy from last night. Um, I had to catch up on the BT. Um, app to uh, to see the the action uh, um, ahead of the after the Atlanta goals Atlanta goals they should cut to Ronaldo balling out various teammates yeah. uh, each time and was that his body language all night and, and is he a, a leader in that team or is he actually just a nuisance uh, and how's that I mean is he running things behind the scenes when I mean, if he was playing as badly as your early copy was going to suggest. Um, you know, why, why wasn't he being taken off or could Solskjaer not do that after the Everton situation? I well, mean, I, who's running the show there? 
Well, I, I don't know if your questions are rhetorical. Um, um, no, no, I'm or, um, no, but, but let's make uh, listen, like he's usurping power or drawing power. Well, <laughs> well, the thing is, it, it, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because um, go back to Leicester, and you know he left him on the field for ninety minutes. You know, um, and he was doing nothing. I mean, literally doing nothing, contributing little either, certainly nothing defensively, as was highlighted, I think, on several um, TV shows, not pressing, you know, not 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 chasing back, and and also did very little um, going forward. Yeah, he kept him on for 90 minutes and took off Mason Greenwood on Saturday, who had scored an absolute worldy of a goal and always looked a threat and looked United's biggest threat by a mile and was probably their one outfield player who should have been um, immune from any criticism. So then you thought, you know, well, hang on a minute. Like, you know, he's scared of taking Ronaldo off. Last night, I thought he played a little bit better, actually, in in, in, in the game last night, even before his um, late intervention. Um, but the, the, the point of the original piece that I was writing, and then I did include a bit of it in, is, is that, yes, the body language after the two goals, quite who he was blaming, I don't know. Well, he did it at Leicester on Saturday. He did it again. That is the way that, that, that he responds, you know. And and for United's defensive failings, he's got to take a little bit of responsibility as well. But then you think to yourself, just going back, well, you know, what, why aren't you taking Ronaldo off? Last night's the answer, isn't it? You know, last night he can just say, well, here's exhibit A of why I don't take him off. Who else can get on the end of a cross like that, leap like that, and head like that? Who else is going to score the goal to say he scored? although it was a bit scrappy affair against Villarreal. You know, he just has, has a track record. He's going to leave him on, and it, it's hard to argue against it. I thought Solskjaer's defence of Ronaldo last night was was almost protesting too much. You know, he claimed, um, I think it's on, on the back of our paper today, you know, and, and, and he's claiming, like, you know, watch the game, um, Watch the game and have a look at Cristiano's work rate. It was a perfect centre forward performance defensively and whatever. It wasn't. I mean, it really wasn't. You know, and and, and listen, we we did we don't expect that uh, level of um, pressing from Ronaldo. But if you're asking, is he a special case? Then I think the answer is just yes. And and the reason that he's a special case, I guess, is because he can do what he did last night. Whether or not he can do that in games such as. Uh, coming up against Liverpool and Manchester City, they've gone a couple of weeks. I don't know, but you know, every time you think, well, you know, and there's quite a few of us in 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 our industry who probably think that maybe the Ronaldo signing, bizarrely, was maybe not the best idea. You know, but when he does things like he did last night, then it's 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 very hard to stand that argument up. Mm, I mean, because yeah. in the BT edit, it looked like Ronaldo was doing the job that uh, Solskjaer should have been doing, you know, in, on the training ground with the defence, balling out the team. Uh, and uh, it struck me that it's not that long ago that United did have a player manager in a crisis when they gave gigs the job when it wasn't working. I just wonder if we're moving towards that situation for Solskjaer, where perhaps a bit later in the season, if it's still not working, they finally, you know, pull a lid on it. You know, United are out of all competitions and say, well, come on in, Cristiano, let's see what you like at this. And with Fergie's backing in the club, it seems so strong. I, I, I just wonder if that's the manoeuvring that's going on and why Solskjaer is, mm. you know, perhaps so nervous about, yeah, the the way he's handling him at the moment. 
Wow, wow, that would be a leap. And Matt, I must say that you've, yeah, you've shown me up there because I got in from Chelsea. We're both at Chelsea. I put on BT expecting I will have some repeat repeats of something or other, and there's absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I should have put the app on, but there you go. Anyway, uh, mistakes and lesson learned. But uh, I mean, Jeremy, you know, is <laughs> you look at last night and Ronaldo's working right, and so you know, you know, it's justification, but. During the game, is that the problem this season? You know, that basically, are they so dependent on Ronaldo that that basically is detracting from other areas? I mean, as Andy says, you can't possibly argue against what happened last night, but, you know, is it is it right overall? Well, they, they haven't signed Ronaldo to, to, to track back and defend, have they? They've, they've signed him for moments like last night, you know, to score mm. winning goals, to carry the team, and he's more than capable of doing that. But, you know, United shouldn't just rely on Ronaldo to function because they've got so many other great players, you know. They've got a Pogba in there. We haven't discussed him yet. Well, you know, what's going on with Pogba? Um, they've got Bruno Fernandes. You know, those two those two players are walking to most teams in the world, really. And Rashford's just come back from injury. She had a shoulder operation, obviously, after the Euros. So that's a huge, huge talent to, to have coming back into the team. He's scored a couple of goals you know, he's hit the ground running. So, you know, the, the issue is obviously with Ronaldo, he's an absolute luxury of a player because he, he won't do anything when he's not, when he's not got the ball. He, he just, he just, he just stands around basically. He didn't enter the, he doesn't cross the halfway line in terms of going backwards. So when you look at teams like City and Liverpool, their best, the first line of defence is the front three. So, you know, United don't have that high pressing game. Andy was at Leicester last week and I was watching the highlights and they were highlighting it on match of the day saying that when Leicester had the ball, United just didn't put any pressure on them to to try and win it back. And you just mm. see that every week with the Liverpools and the cities of this world. So um, United do tend to build their tactics and approach around Ronaldo. And if he's not playing well, they do have a problem. Mm, yeah, it is It is a concern. Matt, Matt, you and I were both at Chelsea last night talking about, you know, problems with strikers. Both, both strikers went off before half-time. And yet Chelsea score four, as you rightly pointed out to everyone, that basically, um, at least someone does their stats, that basically it was the biggest win <laughs> for Chelsea under Tuchel. And, uh, you know, but, well, can, can Chelsea survive without those? I mean, it wasn't much of a contest last night, let's be honest, when Malmo weren't, weren't much cop at all. But can, can Chelsea get through the next few weeks without without those two? Well, that's their fixture list. Well, tell me. I know what they're playing Saturday. Norwich, Norwich, on, Norwich on Saturday, then an EFL Cup game against Southampton Reserves, presumably, then Newcastle, and then Malmo again. So I think if there was a time to miss a, a couple of strikers, this is probably it. Um, it does surprise me, though, that, I mean, <clears throat> Tuchel was quite funny. He talked about uh, earlier in the season about um, Chilwell not having enough games and losing his confidence, and we all expect him to play him in the next match as a result, and he didn't. And in the same way, on the eve of um, yesterday's game, he was excuse me, he was saying how tired he thought Lukaku looked, uh, and mm-hmm. came to rest it. I mean, it was a contact injury, and you can't sort of legislate for that, and they could happen any time. It was the actual challenge that um, that won the penalty. But at the same time, you know, the guy's a little bit out of form. He, he, he supposedly overplayed and he picks him again for a game that really, 
You know, I, I wrote in my copy this morning, he didn't need strikers. He could have won that game with a team of right backs. You know, mm. they weren't very good, Malmo. Um, you could have stuck Werner on and Havertz uh, and given Lukaku the night off. Um, Werner's hamstring, to be honest, the form he's shown since he's been at Chelsea, uh, yeah, it's touch and go whether that's an injury blow or an injury boost. Um, uh, you know, he's not exactly done much in the team for as much as he's popular uh, with all the fans there. Um, but but Lukaku is a key one. And, and if that injury does stretch on into some more serious games later on in the season, you will wonder why why on earth he's playing back-to-back games. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is a... That's a question. Are you referring to Werner as a striker in the loosest sense? <laughs> well, there was a great one early on when basically he, he, was, he missed an absolute sitter where the offside flag went up. But I would love to have seen that if that had actually gone in and been tested by VAR because I think we, we I think it would have been onside. You know, because basically we look back upon the the incident and when the through ball was played, and it was about sort of not the offside was about about the through ball basically, and I feel sure that it was it was going to be onside, and so he was very very lucky. I, I thought. Have you ever it's seen just a not, player? Just... Have you ever seen a player miss so many easy chances as Werner? I mean, it's just, it is astonishing, and I do think that basically. You know, when when they signed the player, they signed him for over fifty million pounds. You got to be watching him week in, week out, and realise that when I thought he was at his best for Leipzig, you know, yes, he'd played through the middle and he could play off or whatever, but surely he was at his best uh, coming in off the left yeah. as part of a front front three, and he was one of those inverted wingers, if you like. Yeah, and and that's his that is his game, and that that he was very good at it, by the way. And now basically, you know, it feels like he's been wrecked a bit because, you know, he's been played out of position. I feel quite sorry for him in a way because he's, he works really hard yeah. and he adds a value to the team. And his, his stats actually at the end of last season weren't actually that bad. Um, well, they're quite good. Um, and, 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 and they were, you know, but he's, he's just, his confidence is low, which means he just misses so many, so many chances, you know. But it does feel as if Chelsea are... Uh, onto a good thing. Liverpool as well, you know, fantastic victory uh, the other night, really. What a dramatic game. I mean, it wasn't... I was talking to another journalistic colleague last night and we were saying it wasn't a game of high quality, but it was an incredible game of high drama. Andy, wasn't it? I mean, it was astonishing, the, game, the, the Liverpool game. I mean, it was just, it turns, went that way in this, and it was just astonishing game of football. Brilliant to watch. Yeah, yeah, it, it was good. You know, a few questionable decisions in there um, that I didn't quite understand. You know, I thought the sending off was harsh and obviously changed the game. Um, I was incredibly surprised that the, the, the original decision about the penalty for Atletico was then, was then reversed. Um, so I think, in a way, and I think Klopp knew it, and, and he hinted that maybe they 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 got a bit lucky um, on occasions in that game. But you know, they, they can't keep getting lucky. This is a Liverpool team that has gone and played to a a, a really a, a formidable opponent in a formidable mm. environment, and have scored three goals like they so often score. You know, many goals. I mean, I mean that's the great thing about this Liverpool team right at this moment is they have got so many goals in them. 
if only from Salah, but not just from Salah, because we saw Roberto Firmino get a hat-trick of the weekend when Salah was the best player. This is a team that is just scoring goals, you know, for fun, and, and will carry on doing so as long as they have those attacking options, you know, the the, the first-choice three that, we, that we've known about for years, Firmino, Mane and Salah, and Diego Jota coming in, you know, to give them... Um, another option, I mean, and so just any three out of those four at the moment, you know, it looks likely every single game, every single game you watch Liverpool play, you think they're going to score. And you think they're going to score more than one. You know, you think they're going to score um, two, three, four, you know, and, and that is even if they go to somewhere like Atletico Madrid. As I say, they probably did get just a little bit fortunate on um, Tuesday. But, you know, there's no denying that, that they are, you know, one of the most potent attacking forces um, in Europe, well, certainly in the Premier League and and definitely in Europe. And in most sad at the moment, they've got a player who's, who's on who's on such sensational form. He looks like, you know, he's one of the best finishers in the Premier League, if not the best finisher. You know, he's one of the most creative. Uh, he's a player who takes people on, you know, and that, and that becomes, that's become a rare thing in modern football. The player who actually takes three or four players out of the game and, 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 you know, that is such a underestimated quality of actually, you know, in, in the era of like quick passing, pressing, et cetera, we, we put all the value by how high they press, how hard they press, how much work they do, how many color monsters they cover, how quickly they move the ball, how many passes, completed passes. Well, you know what? A guy who can actually get the ball and go around the defender and then go around another one is more viable than anyone because he takes those two players out of the game. You're then eleven against nine, you, you know, and and it's and that has always been an underestimated um, quality, and he's got it in in abundance. You know, I wouldn't say at the moment. I, I don't quite buy into. I don't like to go down the route of oh, well, he's the best player in the world at the moment, because quite frankly, we all see that, but we all don't watch enough of other players around the world. It's as simple as that. I'm not watching Rob. Huh? A, couple of, a couple of those goals he scored recently, Mo Salah, they were like Diego Maradona esque, weren't they? The way he just yeah, yeah, sort of crossed with Lionel Messi. Yeah, they, mm. Unbelievable. Yeah, they score. were. But, oh, and, and, and he's he's amazing. So he can turn the game on, on his own. So yes. Yeah, so going back to the original question about the game, it was good. I enjoyed it. I've enjoyed all the Champions League games this week. They were a little bit lucky, but Liverpool right now are more than making their own luck. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, do you think he's the best player in the world? Then, no. Um, uh, anyway, moving. <laughs> <It's not laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I just do. I just do. I do. I really feel passionately. I do. I think we're watching genius. I think we are watching an absolute genius. Forgive me for saying so, but you know, I forgive me for saying so, but I, you know, I, I, I do try and watch. You know, who are you competing against? I mean, I, I would, I, I would argue. You know, I would argue there's, you know, four or five obvious, and and anyone outside of that group will quickly take a, you know, make a setup and take notice. You're talking Ronaldo, who, frankly, no, no not at the moment. Messi, no, not at the moment. And for me, it's always Mbappe. Look, or, Mbappe is always in the it. conversation. No. Ireland, Ireland, well, you know. It, it, it's, a, it's a conversation, isn't it? Well, Lewandowski, I think he's criminally, criminally, you know, o- overlooked. And I have to say, uh, yeah, we did embarrassing. Harry Kane, best striker in the world. Oh, please. Oh, please. I mean, you know, it's what, what I'm Harry Kane aspires to be Robert Lewandowski. That's the point, you know. 
I mean, he's fat, you know, Lewandowski is, you know, he's an absolute god. But at this precise moment, I believe that Salah is playing better than all of them. Well, at he, this he moment. Might, I'm not, say, I'm not saying that, you know, he's, he's necessarily, you know, I think Haaland is... You know, when Lewandowski eventually retires in what ten years' time, he's gonna, I'm joking. He basically he's going to be. People will look back with the proper affection and respect that he deserves. Haaland can be an absolute legend, but right now, Mo Salah, I think he's under. Do you think if Salah can keep up that form this season, I know it's a big ask, but if he does, do you think Liverpool have genuinely got a really, really good shot at winning the title? Yeah, without doubt. I I didn't think I didn't think they could win the title at the start of the season. But, you know, having seen them a couple of times this season, I just think they're fabulous. You know, great. They've still got that midfield conundrum. I think everyone can say, everyone can see rather, you know, what their first choice defence would be. The only conversation is, is it, is it Matip or Gomez? Because um, I still really think very highly of Gomez, a fully fit Gomez. But what's the midfield trio? You know, yeah. Henderson definitely. Kaita defensively, you know, he, he lets players go past him too easy, but he gives you something in attack. You know, Fabinho has to be has to be in there clearly, but it's just like you know, what is that dynamic? What is that makeup? That's the only thing in in a way. But for me, I don't know what you think, Jeremy. But I mean, you just give almost. I'm loath to say give Salah what he wants because Liverpool don't run their club like that. You know, they run it really well and sensibly. And basically, also you've got to be respectful for the other players in the group. So, but what 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 do you do? You know, what do you do? It's it's a you know, it's a difficult it's well, a difficult uh, one with Salah and his contract because at the moment we're watching genius. He's certainly a, he's certainly doing his best to earn a new deal, isn't he? Yes, you can't do any more. I mean, it's a pickle for Liverpool because you know how old is Salah? Is he just remind twenty nine now, isn't he? So this will be this this will be the last big deal he gets probably of his career, isn't it? Whether it's in Liverpool or whether he moves. So look, if he gets to the summer and he's he's not agreed anything with Liverpool, then it'll be really fascinating to see what pans out there because you know he won't be short of offers. Having said that, you talk about these elite players like Sterling. We may come on Sterling at some point. He obviously has made it clear that he might he might he might leave City. These players on such Sterling's on massive wages at City. Which club? Mm. How many clubs can afford to to, to honour those wages? No one in Spain. No one in Spain. Probably Bayern Munich wouldn't do it. No. PSG are stacked out with superstars. There's no room at the end there. It's really when you think about it. There's not a lot of options for these players who do want to. No. You know the no. Barcelona's and Real Madrid's used to be the the go-to clubs for, for players wanting to leave English football, but those two are in such a state. I mean, just going back to that. Atletico Madrid game. Griezmann, who I thought was fantastic until he got sent off. I agree with Dunny. I don't think I think common sense should have prevailed there. It should have been a yellow card, not a red. But he scored twice for Atletico. He's on loan at Atletico Madrid from Barcelona. Mm. How bad does it have to be at Barcelona that they can allow yeah. a player that good to go out on loan to one of their biggest rivals? Yeah. And and by, and by the way, you know, I mean Dunny loves the loan system, doesn't he? But I mean it's just um and by the way, it's just, you know, how bad does it have to be that at Barcelona that you have to let the best player in the world go? You know, sorry, yeah. Mo Salah. But basically, and, and then still not be sure of honouring three new signings and their contracts. Yeah. I mean, it's just, so the notion then that Barcelona can somehow sign Raheem Sterling 
in January. Wow. And we're Fantasy Island. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. It's just absolutely ludicrous. And and Real Madrid, surely, is going to sign Mbappe next summer. So that's them that done. You yeah. know, it's just it's just not happening. So I do, you know, it is a, it is an interesting dilemma. I, I, Matt, I mean, obviously, Man City played and you know won brilliantly in in Bruges. I mean, Sterling, you know, played played his part in that game. But what next for for Raheem Sterling? Because he's he's a fabulous player for for club and country, isn't he? And it's just it's weird at the moment that he's not. You know, he's clearly not Pep's favourite right now. But where, where do you see where do you see it? How, how do you see it panning out? Sorry, obviously going to go to Newcastle, isn't he? There. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, there's the trouble. What's happening actually is a rationalisation at the very top of the game that the big clubs actually have some sort of sway in keeping players that isn't just money. They have the prestige of playing for the biggest clubs. I mean, I'm Sterling's not getting much of a kick at the minute, and 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 perhaps that's a temporary thing. And I think he does like to be a big fish wherever he is. But where do you go where you're going to have the same opportunities as City to play the same mm. football? I mean, it's the same argument for Sally, you know, Liverpool, City. There are very few clubs that you can be part of what, what those top Premier League teams are doing, and certainly not abroad at the moment, because it's not just that Spain haven't got the money, they haven't got the ch- chance of winning anything mm. uh, Footballers, we're told, just want to win stuff. If you, if you want to be paid lots of money just to play football, go to Newcastle. You know, take the money. Take the money wherever it comes. You know, I mean, the point of PSG is that they've signed players in the past that were too quick to take the money. And as a result, it's only now that they're looking like a team that can win stuff um, because they've signed the wrong players in the past. Now they're putting together the players. Going to go to PSG, but... You know they're already filled with players like Sterling, and he's getting you know his it's grass isn't necessarily greener. Um, it is difficult for these players, and that's isn't that a good thing? Because before players would just say, "Right, I'm off then. I'm going to go and earn several minutes somewhere else." But now there isn't somewhere else to go. Perhaps we'll see a bit more loyalty. We'll perhaps see a little bit more sanity in the uh, wages that the top clubs have to pay um, to get the best players. And that'll have a ripple down effect, which will hopefully make, you know, an average League One player a bit more affordable. Uh, and it goes all the way down down the sort of pyramid. And because football needs that reality check. You know, we haven't spoken about it for, for a long time, but but football is by no means out of the woods, is it? You, you know, we've got clubs like Derby, famous clubs that, that are struggling. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, it's not a healthy sport as it stands at the moment. And I think if players are suddenly finding it's not quite the gravy tra- train that, to jump on that they've always been able to in the past, I don't think that's a bad thing. Obviously, how do you see the Sterling thing panning out? Because obviously he split up with his agent, didn't he, last year? And mm. you know, um, obviously, if he's going to have to, if he's going to want to find a move in the summer, he's going to need a hard-nosed agent, isn't he, to represent him? Yeah, I was really surprised about that because you know, very, very close um, relationship between the pair. Um, you know, and Sterling even referred to him, didn't he, during the Euros about how influential he'd been during his career, but. You know, I maybe it is because he thinks that oh, I'm going to do a new chapter now, and then so basically I, I want to do something else. And you know, he's taking on some you know a different you know sort of advisor sort of um, 
publicity wise and sort of commercial wise and I think he's sort of kind of doing his own thing with a lawyer really sort of kind of football wise maybe ahead of a, a move so it'll be interesting to see how it pans out personally if I'm a betting man I just still I think that basically he's got so he's got coming up for 18 months left how on earth is he going to better um, what he's got at Man City you know how on earth could he move to another, you know, which other Premier League club is open to? He can't. I mean, people, people you know, linking him to Arsenal is ridiculous. He's not going to go to Arsenal for Man City. He's not going to win anything just, there, is he? Oh, no. I mean, it's just, you know, he's just fantastic success. Brilliant player under Guardiola. Joking. Uh, the had. And I just feel he'll stay. I do feel he'll stay because I think he'll go through this season I don't think Guardiola clearly appreciated Sterling, what he said, but I thought Sterling was incredibly respectful. I really did. You know, he said it very carefully. You know, it was on a sort of a FT Live event. It was the most softly, softly interview you ever see. <laughs> Although the following days in front of the FT did make me laugh out loud, simply because on the front of the Financial Times, good get by the FT, by the way, um, to get them speaking at their sort of live event. It was literally sort of on the front page with a picture of Sterling with a come and get me plea on the front of the FT. I mean, it's... Twirled by the... Yeah, it was twirled by the broadsheet and the financial broadsheet. <laughs> but I, I, just feel, I just feel that he will, he will, you know, in his own way, find some form, find rhythm, play again for City, whether that's through the middle or whether that's out wide... Because he's too good to leave out and he's too valuable. Yes, last season wasn't his greatest season. And therefore, I think when he's playing, when he's scoring, when he's winning trophies again, he'll sign a new contract. Joking aside, I know Matt mentioned Newcastle, but I'm not suggesting for one minute that he'd ever want to go to Newcastle. But isn't Sterling the sort of player that, that Newcastle, the sort of signing, that he's a player of his status, that that's what Newcastle are going to start looking at, isn't it, next summer? Well, it would be a statement signing, wouldn't it? I mean, let, let's be honest. They've got to start you know, they, they've got to start somewhere, and what a statement that would be! I mean, come on, guys, let's move on to Newcastle and and, and Steve Bruce. You know, finally, almost it felt like put it out of his misery um, yesterday. Andy, you and I were in slight disagreement, weren't we, about how kind of this has played out for Steve Bruce? Really, do, do you think Steve Bruce has, you know, what, what do you think of the you know the job that Bruce has done in in the two and a bit years in charge? And as he had a fair, fair time of it, you know, media-wise and sort of from the fans, how do you think Steve Bruce has been treated overall? What's the Steve Bruce legacy? Well, I mean, the, the legacy in Newcastle is, you know, two and a half years, and he did, I guess you'd say, at best, you know, fairly average. I mean, you know, there's, there's no getting away from that. They're a poor team this season. They've been, you know, he, he's done okay to keep them up. If his brief is just to keep them in the Premier League, then, then clearly he did it with relative degrees of comfort. I think it was 13th and 12th, wasn't it? In the two full seasons and obviously without a win um, this season. Um, clearly, he wasn't a popular choice amongst fans when, when he was first appointed. But then, you know, not many things that Mike Ashley did was, were popular choices. You know, and it was almost when he appointed Bruce, almost as though he was, you know, sort of... Um, Yet again, just sort of trying to come up with ways that he could make himself actually more unpopular with the Newcastle fans. So it was never going to be off to a to to a good start. Um, and listen, I, I, I've, I've dealt with Steve Bruce, you know, for a long, 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 long time. And 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 like most of us, 
you know, find him, you know, a great character, very helpful, very down to earth. You know, all the things that Alan San Maximum probably said about him in, in, in that social media message yesterday. And I get all that. And now the narrative has changed a little bit to sort of how badly he was treated, you know, and, and he's got ex-players and, and journalists, you know, saying how badly he was treated. And yes, you know, when you when you read Steve Bruce saying about his glad his parents aren't around to, to read the the abuse he gets on social media. It's heartbreaking to read that. And, and you know, mm. and, and everyone who sends abuse to people on social media should read the likes of that and have, and, and have a, a really good look at themselves. But sadly, that's part, you know, the, 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 the calls for a manager to be sacked um, after a, a string of bad results or mediocre performances, that, 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 that is the way of the world. You know, that, that's why that, that is, that is something that, Rightly or wrongly, football managers have got to come to terms with. You know, it's 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 the year of, of, of the phoning. You know, there's, you know, it's the area driving back from Leicester on on Saturday. I switched the radio on. You know, six o'clock. You know, on the first five callers were were saying sack Solskjaer now. You know, there's no there's no there's no grey area. There's no nuance. There's no um, did it all get a bit personal? It appeared it did. You know, and should it do? Well, clearly, no. It shouldn't get personal. But in terms of the job he did, John, I, you know, I, I, could, I don't think there was really much of a case to be made for him to be the way forward um, with Newcastle and the new owners. And I think that I think he knew that as much as they knew that. Um, I mm. do think. I mean, just just moving it on a little bit. I do think they're in a situation now which is, you know, I mean, just I mean, just typical Newcastle. Really, you know, they're now in a situation where the new owners come, have come in, and they're already. I mean, they're already making basically pretty much a. A bit of a mess of things, you know. They've got no one to appoint the manager for start off. You know, I mean, who's appointing it? Is it, is it the PIF? Is it Amanda Staveley? Is it Jamie Rubin? They've got no, you know, it's, it's not coming from a technical director or a director of sports because they haven't got one. Um, how do they sell the job to them? The other Premier League clubs now appear to be ganging up on them and saying you can't sign these sponsorship deals with Saudi, whatever. And already, already, just brilliant Newcastle. Already, it, 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 it's all a bit, it's all a bit sort of chaotic there. So, but uh, your original question, listen, did I like any of the personal stuff? Of course not. The personal stuff against Bruce was wrong. And I think there's been plenty of people in our business and in the media and ex-players and ex-managers who've pointed that out over the last 24 hours, uh, how bad some of the stuff was. Do I think, you know, he had a fair crack of the whip in terms of time-wise, football-wise. Even, you know, he had a bit of money in the transfer market as well. Yes, they do. And, you know, they just they just weren't good enough and they're certainly not good enough this season. Yeah. Jeremy, when I looked at Steve Bruce's uh, press conference from last Friday, you know, a few people sort of said, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's out of order, he's having to go back at the media and what have you. But actually he was saying that, you know, I, I've not been treated fairly. David Moyes said that basically, you know, he's, he's really not been treated fairly. And I, I, I respect Moyes a lot. I think, you know, when he talks, his, his voice is heard. And, you know, he was making the point about, you know, his sort of treatment by the media. And, you know, he was saying that basically Bruce was saying that, but you know, you guys have got your, your facts wrong because here I am still in charge. You all said I was going to get you, you know, it's going to get the sack. It felt very gratuitous from, from some of the reporting. Did it overstep the mark, do you think? I, I felt it did. I felt it became too personal in certain areas. I mean, a lot yeah. of it, I thought, you know, 
you know, I look at the, some of the TV coverage, not just the TV, but a bit of the newspapers. But I felt it overstepped the mark. What do you think? I agree. I won't name names, but there's some people in the media wrote him off from day one. Um, you know, didn't show him any respect. I think what, they, like Dunny said, you know, look, Steve Bruce has been a, a wonderful servant to English football, both as a player and a manager. We all know him pretty well. He's a good bloke, you know. Um, he, just, he doesn't sort of stand on ceremony. He's pretty humble. Because um, he's had a great career, really. And um, I just think, you know, you don't treat people like that, do you? And I think Bruce's point was, look, you're saying to me, I'm not very good at my job. I can't do my job properly. Well, actually, you've, you've, not, you've not done your jobs properly this week because you said from day one I would be sacked on the Monday following the takeover. And actually, come come Sunday of that same week, he was still in a job and mm. on the touchline for this Tottenham game. So, you know, and I think, look, it was all a culmination of a long period of being attacked by certain members of the media on top of all the abuses had from supporters. And you've got to remember, he's a, he's a Geordie, Bruce. He's, 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 this, mm. These are his hometown people. So it must that must sting more than... More, you know, just add some extra sting to it all, really. So I feel sorry for him, really. I think when he, when your family are getting involved and, you know, you're hearing a manager say, you know, this will be my last job because it's it's taken it's such a toll on him and his family. Mm. I think that's a sad day, actually, when 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 it, it when it crosses the line so far. I just mm. don't, I think it's terrible, really terrible. I think the people who are guilty of it should be ashamed. Yeah, no, well said. I totally agree with you. Matt, Matt, listen, you you were very strong last week on the, you know, on Newcastle and 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 the issues around it. Dave Heitner in the Guardian this week, you know, cracking story exclusive about the sort of kind of the other Premier League clubs ganging up and blocking the kind of the in-house sponsorship deals, if you like. You know, that 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 whole scenario, I mean, you know, you know, I guess we could sort of laugh about the sort of the morals of other clubs and sort of kind of, you know, them trying to lecture them and, and what have you. But that plus, I think that, it, you know, it didn't half sit weird with me, I have to say. And I know it has with with a few clubs about, you know, the kind of the Premier League, uh, um, you know, tackling racism campaign last weekend and sort of, you know, trying to crack down on kind of, um, discrimination of all, all sorts. I mean, you know, it doesn't get any easier for Newcastle, does it, right now? And sort of, you know, did, you know, will it get any easier? I mean, the other clubs are clearly trying to block it. And, and, and you know, the human rights issue and argument is simply not going away. In fact, it's intensifying, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And it will carry on in the background all the time uh, that the current owners are there. Um, what I thought was interesting, and it's, it's a subtle thing, the, uh, and it's something that I don't think Newcastle fans appreciate. They have their role in the, the whole football picture. Uh, uh, you know, they want to hark back to the Keegan era. Back then, Newcastle, I think, pretty much were everyone's second favourite team. They almost played on it and, uh, and trumpeted that themselves. You know, we, we we loved what Keegan was doing. We loved the four threes. We loved the breakdowns. The, yeah, everything. The heart was at, with them. But I don't know how many people were gunning for for Newcastle when they pulled that first goal back against Spurs. So, yeah, it was 3-1 mm-hmm. suddenly, 3-2. Uh, I don't think anyone in the country was willing them to go on and snatch something back. Um, even the most ardent fan, Arsenal fans, might have... Um, 
you know, that they're not going to be popular. Nobody wants them this to be a fairy tale, them to have fairy tale of Newcastle. And that's what they're going to have to live with. No one's going to be rooting for them at any of the things. Oh, well, sorry. Um, um, but yeah, no, nobody's going to. Someone's slavery for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll ring you back, Amanda. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean that's what they're going to have to live with, and the, you know, it, it used to be United fans used to moan that it was anyone but United. It's now going to be anyone but Newcastle, and and that's the sort of well, because everyone resents and feels that something's not quite right and what's going on here and and it's all to do with the uh where where this money that they're going to spend and you know is coming from yes yeah oh. absolutely absolutely no it's it's, it's and, and, great and, and, mm, sorry yeah no 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 that, i mean that, that, that's a really really good point it it, it, it literally you know people are there was no it was a great atmosphere there mm. for 20 minutes on 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 sunday but you know you got the impression <laughs> Sort of driving home. I mean, how many messages do you see of people who who said like, you know, normally you know they love Steve Bruce, they 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 love the the history of Newcastle, from you know, but they didn't want them to win that game. And bear in mind, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, spare, it's hardly a romantic thing sticking up for Spurs, is it? Let's face it. So, uh, and and in this day and age, you know, if you're looking at other teams, like you know, a lot of people like watching Man City. I mean, that's hardly a romantic story either, is it? But anything, you, you know, I, I think I think that the whole point there is the. The Saudi thing won't go away, you know, and people will look at, you know, Newcastle's new chairman sort of, I think he was representing Saudi Arabia and trade organisation, wasn't it? Some, you know, meeting the Queen on their Monday night, was it? I think I'm not sure. And, like, people are going to look at this sort of stuff and think, you know, I, 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 it's right. There's a huge battle ahead for hearts and minds, and, and they're probably not going to win. So it's going to be a real, I don't know, a real battle for them. And then, and that also, don't forget, influences, I think, the decisions of whether managers or players want to go there, you know. Mm. I, I, so, if the only thing you have to offer them, I'm going to say only thing, and it's clearly very important, is is money, then you are in a little bit of trouble. I think, you know, if you, as I say, managers look around now and think, hang on a minute, the rest of the Premier League, including the owners and the the chief execs, are are basically ganging up on Newcastle, which strikes me that's what they've done with that commercial yeah. decision. Then the manager's going to think, well, it's not going to be as easy as we thought, you know. Maybe we won't have so much money to spend, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe we are the sort of, you know, I don't know, outcast of the Premier League. It's going to be tough for them. Yeah, I keep on wanting to say Daniel Fonseca is, is, is about to is about to take charge, but it looks like it might be Paolo Fonseca. But um, but it might be Paolo. <laughs> I'll tell you also, just just very quickly. I mean, you couldn't make. I mean, I do, I do. I mean, covering Newcastle must be, you know, I've, I mean, having some full time sort of like covering anyone. But I mean, it's incredible. And then you get this story halfway through the day that, that you know the, the Newcastle asking fans not to dress up as you know in details. Mm. Yeah, and you're reading, you're thinking, what? I mean, it's just like it's like a some sort of bizarre drama script. It's like. Listen, it is, yeah. yeah, and I, you know, it's a really difficult argument that one because they're trying to so show their appreciation, kick, kick it out quite rightly. Pointed out, yeah. we're not in stereotyping here. Thanks very much. And then, meanwhile, it feels as if almost 
you know, the, the sort of the anti-racism groups, you know, didn't it didn't say very much, if at all. Sorry, I missed it. If if they did, which you know, yeah. that they're basically, you know, a racist, deeply offensive gesture has been aimed at Spurs fans, and it's just like you know, Newcastle have issued a statement, and sort of kind of there's appeal for you know, and so on, and it just feels like, hang on a minute. You know, sort of a deeper underlying issue of anti-Semitism has yet again gone under the radar with no one yes, saying so, anything. Uh, it really annoys me. You know, come yes. on, treat all forms of discrimination the same with a level hand. When on earth will, you know, groups like Kick It Out sort it out? You know, really, really great. Anyway, um, uh, I, you know, unfortunately, it would it, I would suggest never. But anyway, but there you go. Maybe, maybe you know, different different groups have to be set up. Listen, uh, the, the other uh, another really big story this week has been. Um, the uh, Euros um, final and what happened. England, you know, the FA escaped with a one-game stadium ban, another suspended for two years, um, hefty €100,000 fine. Um, did, is that a let-off? I thought it was a let-off, Jeremy. What did you think? Yeah, totally. Look, we've seen this all before with other countries as well. You could probably predict what was going to happen mm. um, prior to the punishment being announced. You know, look, we we were all there that that sort of fateful uh, fateful night uh, day night in in July, and I, I mean we've all covered lots of football around the world down the years, and I can't ever recall feeling as uneasy in terms of being at a game or outside a game um, ever as I did that day. Um, it all just felt so horrible and threatening, and you just wanted to get into the stadium actually just to sort of get away from it, even if it was three hours before kickoff, you just wanted to get in there. But actually, once you're in there, you, you saw other incidents taking place as the, as the night unfolded. So, yeah, look, one game, what's that going to achieve? Probably nothing. Um, you know, Hungary, Hungary, Hungarian fans proved that only the other week, didn't they? they they're mm. in the current ban. And um, they turned up at Wembley and um, caused mayhem. So, what I found quite galling, actually, I have to say, is that when the FA released a statement, they said they were disappointed with the outcome. I mean, if I was the FA, I'd be, I'd be doing cartwheels. How can you be, possibly be disappointed when you look at the whole process, why it took place, why there was an investigation? You know, to say we're disappointed is, 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 is absolutely farcical, I think. You know, I just didn't agree with that. I was laughing, at, I was laughing through gritted teeth at it, really, because, you know, you just think, crikey, guys, you should be you should be grateful you've just got a one game ban. But what's it going to achieve? You know, I think you're getting down to the nitty gritty of it all. When you look at punishments that these authorities dish out, the futile really, because we'll have a game without any fans, and then you know, as soon as they come back in, something will happen, no doubt. Sadly, mm-hmm. I think this this is creeping back into into football uh, around Europe uh, at the minute, and it's it's quite concerning. Um, so what do you do? Do you go a step further and maybe dock team points from their qualification process? I don't know. That could be an option maybe. But something has to happen that makes these associations sit up and really think about how they're going to try and prevent further trouble at games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but Matt, I, I feel as if hooliganism is, is slipping back, you know, is creeping back into 
you know, not just English football, but, uh, you know, certainly coming back into English football, but basically, you know, Europe wide, it's, it's a real issue again, isn't it? I think it's uh, a societal issue. Uh, and, and people are using football to, to channel it, unfortunately. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, those scenes at Wembley were horrible. The sense of entitlement of those fans who felt they could uh, just break into the stadium, you know, terrorise stewards, all the rest of it, and also terrorise passers-by uh, and families and small children with boisterous singing. You see it on the walkways more and more now, you know, the Premier League games. You know, groups of lads who who want to be aggressive, um, and they're in their their tight areas still. For all that you know happened, you know, sort of thirty, forty years ago, um, you know, there's still a lot of people in a small space in those areas, uh, and people just seem to want to intimidate, sing songs boisterously, you know, throw things which have no consequence. I noticed at the NFL game, uh, Spurs, people were throwing cups around, yeah, empty cups, albeit. Empty cups, but but people were leaving the ground with gashes in their head because of idiotic behaviour, and it, it's not making a point. It's not doing anything. It's just being aggressive because you can be aggressive, and it is an area to do it. And it's venting some sort of anger. I don't know what it is, but you know it is creeping back. And there's bottles being thrown at, at players as well. I wasn't there at the weekend, mm. and um, yeah, and it is creeping back. And I think. What I would say is with the stadium ban, this is the first time, and the message has to go home to fans now, for the first time we're going to hold an England football match and we're telling fans, no, you're not trusted to come and watch because of your behaviour. I mean, mm-hmm. although it seems like an empty sort of punishment, that is the message behind the ban. You know, you're not trusted to come and watch a game of football. That's how badly behaved you are. Mm. And fans need to wake up to that and think, yeah, we can sing songs, we can be merry, we can. There's different sort of adjectives you have, but there always seems to be an an anger in there at the mm. moment, and that's what needs to come out. It needs to be a celebration of England. What struck me when that ban landed, and when you hear, we heard some of this testimony and and all the rest of it, is what if we'd won that Euro final? Mm. How would we look back on that day as a nation? <laughs> when we look back, the sun was shining. It seemed impossibly. The sun was certainly shining in our memories of '66 a lot more than it was actually on the day. Um, yeah. you know, it was a golden day for England football. What would that that day have been like this summer if we had to look back and think, "Oh yeah, well of course it was kind of marred by the fans." No, it it, it completely destroys what what England footballers, who we're all supposed to be there to celebrate, hmm. what they've been trying to do for 50 years. And it would have ruined it. Uh, and that's mm. what fans need to wake up. There's no place for that. It's not clever. It's not big. You know, just stop it. It's it's really that simple. And mm. it needs to be. Point. I think point. it's a great shout, by the way, because I, I actually feel like on the Monday morning after the game, the, 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 the trouble in the newspapers was frankly a footnote, which I thought was wrong. I'll be yeah. honest. You know, Massive I thought they totally, great. totally misjudged it. And basically. Yeah. Would have been, if we'd have won that tournament, it would yep. have been forever stained, wouldn't it? The achievement would have been stained forever. It, I think, though, his other point is, though, that is he, you know, is of equal value is that basically would it have done? Because basically, if it makes, you know, a, a blob, frankly, which it did on the Monday morning newspapers, I thought it was a bad, bad call, basically. And then basically it was just... You know, because anyone at that stadium was completely overwhelmed by the 
by the shocking scenes, does that then get forgotten, you know, in going forward in the week? Then yeah. I think, uh, frankly, I think it does. It, yeah, it, it, it does because it's overwhelmed by England's glory. Rah, rah. And uh, it, anyone at that game who wasn't rushing the turnstiles came away with a totally different perspective, a perspective that led to us all agreeing, I think, that basically England and the FA got away with it this week. Jeremy, you're spot on there. I mean, I, I, that statement baffled me, frankly. I, I, I can't see that it is anything other than a let-off, really. And it, unless we impose that message upon people that, that basically this is not acceptable, and I don't know quite how you do that because it doesn't feel enough, and the irony, then, 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 then it's going to ha- carry on happening. And obviously the backdrop to it all is that we, we want to host a World Cup in 2030. Mm. You've got to ask yourselves, and it's, I'm ashamed to even say it as an Englishman, but do we deserve to get that chance to host the World Cup, the biggest no sports competition no on the planet? Like Matt said, UEFA are basically saying you can't be, your supporters can't be trusted to attend, attend a game. This is the punishment. If you, were, if you were FIFA, would you even consider thinking about letting England and Ireland host, host a World Cup? No I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No. I don't think we deserve it. I don't think we deserve it. Because, you know, this is not just, I mean, as, as bad as it was in July, this is not an isolated incident, is it? We were all no. in Seville a few years ago when, when you know, there was trouble before the game, uh, during the game. You know, every, every time you go to an England game, you hear those, those appalling words inserted into the national anthem in reference to the IRA. I mean, you know, it's just, it's the societal thing, isn't it? You know, it's like, you just ask yourself, why can't people go to a football match and behave behave normally? It's a simple yeah. question, but it's just, they can't, can they? No, no, they can't. And any, anyone at that game, oh, you know, oh, horrendous. Yeah, but that's... But 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 in a way, I mean, that's just like saying, well, you know, why can't people go to, um, you know, a race meeting and behave, you know, when they're fighting in the posh parts of the race meeting? Why can't they go to a cricket match? And um, and we all know why, because because we also know that, that those people who caused the trouble at Wembley on that Sunday were probably not fans who are watching them through and through, you know, uh, game in, game out, and, and, and watch your sort of bog-standard England game at Wembley and then Nations League game in, in whatever. It was the day out and the day out involves drink, drugs and misbehaving. And whether that be at the football, whether it be at the racing, whether it be out, you know, at festivals, whether it be anywhere, you know, we all know the issues. We all know one of the issues, the issues of misbehaving around that game were not necessarily football related. They were, they were, they were society related. I mean, listen, I, I agree that the FA certainly it was poor wording to say they were disappointed with the verdict. I guess they're coming from the point of view that, that, that you know, it's they haven't got that bad a history in terms of that, unlike, unlike some countries. Um, I do think that if you started saying, well, we can't award World Cups or, or European Championships or major tournaments to countries, we've got a history or any sort of history of, of crowd misbehaviour, then the field will be narrowed down considerably. To basically pretty much no one, you, you know, we only have to look around the content now. What's happening? Like in various the, the trouble they've had, for example, in in the French league. You know what happens? Yeah, listen, we, we all know what, what's happened in, in in other leagues. We can't. I, I think if we did say right. Well, there's no way England can be given a major championship. It has to be someone who's got no history whatsoever of of crowd trouble, no history whatsoever of misbehaviour. 
then as I say, we are you are limiting it, you know. Well, you're living to get, I mean, to pretty much no one, really. Um, yeah, well, well not, Qatar would be the perfect choice. They've got no history of... of well, exactly, Qatar might be the perfect <laughs> choice. I mean, just, you, you know, you will always find... So I don't think... And, you know, I think you do have to bear in mind as well. I mean, I guess why the FA would have said this. I'm being devil's advocate here to an extent, but, you, you know, in, England does have a history, I mean, a recent history of, of, of organising football pretty well. You, you know, Wembley has been a go-to venue... Yeah. Before this, for a long time, um, for a reason, because of the infrastructure, because because the stadiums that we've got, you, you know, it, it, you always get, don't you? There's always a story of, about when if, if, if a particular host country might be having issues, sort of in the build up to the a, a tournament. You know, it, it's always England that's on standby because we have stadium in 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 Wembley and Old Trafford, mm. it, 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 obviously now in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, in the Etihad. You know. They're all the reasons why that still might be a possibility. But going back to, yes, I agree that they got off lightly. Um, but I think the punishments actually fit in with the scale of punishments that they hand out anyway. Now, now that scale is wrong. I mean, absolutely, it's wrong. But I think it pretty much fits in with with what. Listen, I think everyone knew beforehand that's exactly what they were going to get, didn't they? Let's put it that way. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you may say, Cross, they, they got off lightly, but you knew as well as I did that the one game ban and the one game suspended. I mean, it was going to be. I thought they'd get a one-game stadium ban be- yeah, because yeah. you're yeah, right. Yeah, because I mean, that's, the because that's the scale. Because that's the scale. I'm not saying that's right, but that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Exactly. And I think, I think you know, the scale is wrong. Frankly, you know, what having been at that game, having been at that game, my my whole memory of a wonderful summer and amazing Euros is that is that day and what I saw at the final. How sad is that? You know, uh, maybe that'll change with time, but honestly. Terrible, terrible, terrible memories. Because you, know you, know? you, you might not, you, in the rest, for the rest of your career, you might never cover England in a major. No. You probably won't cover England in a major no. final. No. That might be that might be the biggest game we ever covered for, professionally. Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we just don't reach many finals. No, no, we don't, and that's that's why I sort of kind of feel so passionate about it. That basically anyone there, you know. And it was interesting to see that basically, you know, those that didn't go lecturing as, oh, it's not the be all and end all and kind of, you know, they misjudged the mood. You had to be there. And that, you know, you had to be there. When you actually left the stadium, most of the punters obviously dispersed, but Wembley Way was literally like a carpet of broken glass. It was like a... Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. It was, it was an it's shocking, oh, shocking. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, listen, guys, as a finally, I'm going to quickly go around the room and get your predictions for the game of the weekend. Simple as that. Man United, Liverpool, you know, uh, Solskjaer probably out, out of the woods for, for this one. But how's it, going to, how's it going to play? Andy, let's start with you. I, I can't see anything other there. United will raise the game without a doubt. You know, the, the, these type of games have, have, have a habit of being tight. I'm, I'm, I can't see anything other than a Liverpool win. I would say United would probably score, but I would say United one, Liverpool three. Wow, Jeremy. Yeah, I was just going to say I think three one Liverpool. I think it'll be. I don't think it'll be a tight game actually. I, I mean, they, they are notoriously edgy games, but I think it'll be quite an open game. And I think if Varane was playing, I think if he was fit alongside Maguire, I think it'd be closer. But Liverpool in such fine form, Salah's on fire. Three one Liverpool. Matt? 
Yeah, similar reasons. Liverpool, can't, you know, there's so much in form. Salah's an incredible player, so I'm going 2-1 United because that's the sort of result Solskjaer gets. It's just because I've got, got it wrong so many years. It's exactly the sort of United result that they get in these games. Um, and and like I think it was Andy saying earlier, he gets, gets a result when he needs one. And yeah, for no reason at all, uh, no logical reason. I think United will win 2-1. Rossi? Oh, well, I, I, I'm sorry, but I can't see any other outcome, which means it will definitely be another outcome. But then a Liverpool win. I just think Liverpool on fire, you know. Yeah. So I think they'll win 2-1. You're coming north, aren't you, this, this weekend? I am. Yeah. I am. I am, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm finally, finally allowed beyond the Watford gap. It's amazing. <laughs> You've got Watford, everything up here. No right, OK, right. Electricity and everything, yeah. Do yeah, I yeah. Got got up the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> May well. Wow, that is amazing. And petrol. No, no, we're over that. Don't worry. Um, guys, thanks so much for joining us. It's um, been, been a really enjoyable show. Really, really do appreciate it. so many good issues to get stuck into this week. So good to see you all. So, um, yeah, I'll see you soon. Bye.